Nation can last without Terry Funk. It sure as hell can do without Cactus Jack. Thank you, sir. You seem like a very nice guy. Thank you. It's all working. Thank you. I'm not really the loose cannon. It's all just their perception. Hello, my name is Bob Bamber and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. We're going back in the time machine to March of 1996, Volume 3 of this month's show. Volume 1 is your WWF show looking at WrestleMania. Volume 2 is WCW looking at Uncensored. We're here in Volume 3 to discuss ECW. I'm being joined firstly by Rory McNamara. Rory, hello. Hi, guys. And Steve Halverson. Steve? Hey, how you doing? Um, I would ask one of you to kick off, off with the news. We don't really have any. Um, which is different, so I don't really know what to do here. Uh, but yeah, essentially, it, it's a fairly quiet month for ECW. Obviously, the stuff that's happened on the shows and on the big ass Extreme Bash show that we're going to cover that we will get to. Um, but in terms of news, not a lot. So we're just going to jump straight in, and the the stuff that might have filled out a more newsworthy month in terms of the news section, we'll just cover as we get to. And there's a little amusing NWA story, but I'll cover that at the end. Uh, we will start. Where are we going to start here? Uh, we will start with the Hardcore TV on March the 5th. March 5th TV was basically a full rerun of the Two Cold Scorpio Sabu match from February that we covered on last month's show. Uh, highly recommend watching that if you haven't seen it for all the reasons we discussed in February. Otherwise, and even then, I think they re-showed the Douglas Dreamer promo that I got a feeling aired in February as well. Um, and they did their usual montage of promos at the end of the show. But March, March 12th from a podcast, I'm sorry, March 5th from a podcast perspective, not a lot happened except for two rather interesting Brian Pillman segments. Now, one thing we would have covered in the news if we had anything to cover is that Brian Pillman now has essentially left ECW, um, didn't wrestle a match, and you'll, you'll, you'll find out what happened um, to him in ECW as we get through it. On his WCW part, he did appear on Nitro. They were billing him for Uncensored, and then he just never turned up. We will cover that in more detail um, on the WCW show. But on Hardcore TV, on February the 5th, we open up, we walk into this, I don't know, someone's got a camera, and they're on this kind of like this first floor of a house, and they walk through these kind of, through this doorway to the top of the stairwell, and they look down kind of on this, I don't know, reception area of some kind of house. And Pillman is there, and he is stood next to a six-foot-tall pencil. I wish I was making this up. And then for the next 30 seconds, Pillman <laughs> proceeds to wrestle this pencil. Um, okay. And so we get the rest of the show. We see Two Cold Scorpio and Sabu and all of that. Uh, and then we get to the very end of the show and we cut to the final clip on the show is Brian Pillman sat on a sofa wearing no clothes. Um, fortunately the, the Johnson that he threatened to whip out on last month's show, he didn't show us. That was being, his modesty was covered by his left leg. Um, yeah, uh, so that happened. We, we'll, I think we'll cover all the Pillman stuff for the month and then discuss it all rather than do a bit of it now. Um, I, I don't know whether I recommend going, because I, I would recommend watching the 5th of March Hardcore TV for the, the Scorpio Sabu match if you don't have access to Cyber Slam the show. Uh, whether if you've already seen it, whether I'd recommend seeing Pillman grapple a pencil, a giant pencil, and him wearing no clothes. Eh. Not. It's not really history-making uh, no. footage, is it? No, it's <laughs> not. But anyway, um, we'll move on to something I've got scripted. Um, 
And we move on now to our coverage of Big Ass Extreme Bash. That was actually a two-night show. Um, the first night was held in New York, um, and the, the uh, I think the Lost Battalion Hall, uh, and then the second night was held at ECW Arena. Uh, if you want more reading on on, on this pair of shows, uh, Dave Meltzer does a big long report. I think he was at both shows. Um, in terms of what we're going to review, the 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 tape that we've got has kind of probably thirty minutes of highlights in New York shows. There's nothing really to cover beyond the opening segment, which does actually appear on the Hardcore TV that we'll review later. Um, but we we get the probably 30 minutes of the New York show and then the bulk of the Philly show. A couple of matches are shown as clips, a couple of matches are shown slightly curtailed um, and most of it's shown in full. So it's a bit of a bit of a hodgepodge. The interesting kind of note for, from Dave Meltzer's review of both shows, having been at both, was the, the perception that the the New York audience wasn't really prepared, ready, interested in the non-violent style of wrestling, um, particularly when it came to the first of two Juventud Guerrero Rey Mysterio Jr. matches. Um, they they wrestled each other on both shows in, in two two out of three falls matches, um, and there's a few other things as well. But yeah, that was that was kind of the big takeaway amongst other things, and there were certainly um, fans were expecting blood and weren't getting them. But that was night one. Uh, we'll review a couple of things from night one that appear on Hardcore TV later on. But we are here to review night number two in Philadelphia. And Rory, you can kick us off with the results. Yep. Uh, J.T. Smith defeated Axel Rotten. Damien Stone and El Portro Ricano versus The Bad Crew ended in a no contest. The Eliminators defeated Bubba Ray Dudley and Hack Myers to retain the ECW Tag Team Championship. Rey Mysterio Jr. defeated Juventud Guerrero in a best two out of three falls match. Chris Jericho defeated Taz by DQ. Cactus Jack defeated Mikey Whipwreck. The Bruise Brothers versus The Pitbulls ended in a no contest. Sabu defeated Big Titan. Raven defeated Shane Douglas to retain the ECW World Heavyweight Championship. And the Gangsters defeated the Headhunters and the Sandman and Two Cold Scorpio in a tag team three-way dance. Steve, what do you think of this show? It was a great show. Uh, really rated it highly. Um, I, I, the fact that it was on two nights over, and we haven't seen absolutely everything on these tapes, um, I don't feel like I'm missing out on anything. Um, and I also thought that having the two, two out of three fall matches might have been overkill. Um, but I mean, I guess we'll cover that when we go to that match. But th- they were, that was probably the highlight uh, for me was um, seeing the Lucha Libre stuff which I've not been uh, following totally, um, you know, over over the months, but getting to see the um, stringing everything together, putting everything together, was um absolutely fantastic match. Um, really my highlight of the um, of, of the two shows. Um, also as well, we got to see uh, the farewell of, of Cactus Jack as well, which is really emotional um, in terms of, you know, um, his speech that he gave. And then there's the Pillman, Factor that is um, throughout the month as well, um, which again we'll cover. But a great show, I really enjoyed it. Rory, me too. I'm only going to talk about uh, the Philadelphia show because we haven't seen enough of the New York one to talk about it here. And I'm not the world's biggest ECW fan, but I thought this was a great show. It was captivating from start to finish, even the bad stuff. And there was some bad stuff in there. It was kept reasonably short. Uh, the good stuff was extremely good, and the Insane ECW stuff was insane ECW stuff. Uh, it all held together really well. Some stunning matches, a, 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 a truly magical feel-good moment. 
and um, they can hold their heads up high for this one. Good stuff. Uh, I wasn't quite as high on this show as you. I think my overall takeaway one was kind of being a bit... I felt the show didn't finish as strongly as it was in the middle, which I don't think helps, um, but also just being a bit burnt out on this arena-wide brawl style of match yeah, that I fair. think that, you know, Steve, this is the first ECW show you've done, Roy, this is the second, and I'm not saying it's the only ECW exposure you've had, but given that I've been doing ECW now for kind of, you know, two and a half years, you can get a bit burnt out on that kind of very exciting to watch from an arena perspective, but not the most fun to watch from a viewing person's perspective on video. Um, that being said, I think they, you know, Mysterio and Guerrera is phenomenal. Uh, yeah. not, not the style I love, but I can at least admire and tell you how great it is and how much I think people listening are going to enjoy that match. Um, uh, the Cactus Jack thing was was really, really well done. Um, I thought that was a really nice way to end his run. Um, and the Pillman stuff spread throughout the show. It, it did fizzle out. Um, I, I, I admire Raven for going out there injured and working a balmy match, given that he was, wasn't really any state to perform. I think my bigger question surrounding that was whether he should have done. Um and one of my favourite moments of the show is what we're going to open up with. Um, here it is. It's with uh, with New Jack and Mustafa. Jerry Stars introduces the gangsters, who are now being treated heavily by the ECW fans. A female fan goes after New Jack, apparently that's actually his wife, uh, and gets escorted away by security. said he never thought he'd miss anyone in his life but he's missed these crazy retarded motherfuckers in ECW 
I'm losing my goddamn mind sitting in motherfucking Atlantic City jail for damn near five weeks and I, when I should be beating the fuck out of somebody and I've been sat looking at this motherfucking TV. They made me watch this bullshit WCW. I'm going to tell you for real, I jacked off that night. Fuck Eric Bischoff. Fuck Vince McMahon. WCW may be where the big boys play, but this is where the real motherfuckers play. Out comes Damien Kane. Kane's promo gets sh- sh- drowned out by fans chanting, kick his ass. Kane offers them some insurance ahead of their match against Two Cold Scorpio and Sandman. New Jack swears some more before just levelling Kane with a punch. He swears some more and then basically ends up booking them in a three-way against Scorpio and Sandman and the Headhunters for tonight's main event. Uh, Rory, uh, sign me up for more sweary New Jack promos. Absolutely, yes. New Jack, oh my goodness me, you, you, you don't argue with New Jack, do you? If he says it's Tuesday, it's Tuesday, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, I know we talk a lot a lot on this show about how much we like promos from the heart. I think this was, was that and, and more some on this occasion. I mean, bloody hellfire. <laughs> There's not much more I can add um, in the five, you only said about five different words in that promo. <laughs> three, three of them, of them three, were just... three of them were fuck. Yeah. Exactly, <laughs> yes, but uh that's all you need and if that's what's gonna get you over, dance with what brung you, I guess. <laughs> Steve? Yeah, he's I mean, he's brilliant on the mic, isn't he? And he just absolutely gets the crowd popping with the with the promo, and it's a funny promo as well. You know, it's uh, it, it's from the heart. Obviously, he's been through all this shit, but it's a funny. I, I, I really <laughs> I thought it was great, and uh, he got he really gets the crowd going straight off the bat. Yeah, um, I think we, we talk at a time where WCW and WWF are going after free agents like mad. Nobody is signing New Jack cutting these promos <laughs> no, on national television. No, no, no. You, <laughs> if, 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 if you're Paul Heyman, you can push New Jack safe in the knowledge at least that he's not going to get poached by any of the bigger two. There's a whole new load of different problems that come with pushing New Jack. That ain't one of them. Um, yeah, this was really fun. Um, Maybe that's not the best word to describe uh, a, a promo that was about 40% swear words. Um, but I really like what they've done with the gangsters. You know, they had the, they were effectively playing the heels when it was against Public Enemy, the, you know, the ECW favourites. Public Enemy leave and then rather than try and fight the tie because I think there was, you know, one, they've got a lot of heelish tag teams in ECW. Uh, we saw at Cyberslam last month when New Jack wasn't there. They just had Mustafa come out and get beaten up in a handicap match. I'm like, okay, they're, they're going to turn them face. Um, and it's, it's, it's not difficult to see why off the back of this. Um, the fans were laughing. They're enjoying it. Um, you know, the content of the promo was, a bit obvious, I would guess. It, it's not, it's not difficult to come out and swear and just say fuck Eric Bischoff and fuck Vincent Mann. But I think he added a lot to it with the delivery. I agree with Rory. Like, you believe everything he says. Um, and, uh, Rory, Rory's thoughts on, you know, the gangsters as this babyface tag team. I think, I think it's gonna work. It's a, it's not the same as the public enemy, but I think they're gonna fill that kind of role. I think so, yes. They are ass kickers with a capital ass kick. And that's what ECW fans love. I get the impression they've been wanting to cheer the gangsters for a fair while. And now Public Enemy have uh, have gone to pastures new. They now have free reign to do it. And uh, I think they're going to run with this ball big time. I hope so. We see the end of J.T. Smith against Axel Rotten. He botches a second rope flying DDT for some booze. Hits a powerbomb, but Axel kicks out. 
Smith ends up low-blowing Rotten using the ropes for leverage and wins the match. Not really long enough to uh, review. We move on to Bad Crew versus El Puerto, Ricaño and Damien Stone. Ricaño attempts a suicide dive with Bad Crew um, when Bad Crew are walking out and he misses hard. He recovers quickly and hits a double clothesline from the top. Bad Crew dump him out of the ring again and hit Stone with a double-team move, then a Tiger driver. Out comes Brian Pillman, flanked by Philadelphia Eagles footballer Harry Boatswain. Pillman calls out Joey Stars. I think the match just, you know, just disintegrated, really. Um, Pillman tells him not to worry. I love you, man. It's quite certain that the rogue horseman is here. When I ask the question and you don't know the answer, you go back to the classroom. Douglas is on the microphone, but he's in the eagle's nest. Douglas says he's going to kick his ass. Pillman and Boatswain walk off to the back. Douglas says it's WCW versus ECW, and I say extreme wins. Douglas attempts to rip off his shirt, but doesn't quite make it. Ends up wearing it around his neck like a cape. He bemoans Hulk Hogan for that. Fans chant, Pillman is a pussy. Um, Steve, we won't review the match. We'll really think of no. Um, thoughts on this post-match angle? Yeah, this started uh, throughout the show. Um, the, yeah, I, I did laugh at the uh, trying to get his shirt off and, you know, fuck you, Hogan, <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, the, it's explosive, isn't it? And again, the, the, the crowd lap it up. I think Douglas is uh, really, really strong as the uh, the sort of foil for Pillman in this. Um, both of them really doing some good mic work, and it's really intense. Um Obviously, they bring in the NFL guy. Um, what was his name? Harry uh, Boatswain, I believe. Yeah, so he's not a household name, and certainly in my neck of the woods. Um, but got the crowd popping, and it was a good start to what develops um, it with this angle. Roy. Yep, totally agree. Uh, these two just... Well, they gave the impression they, were, they really wanted to riff off each other, but ECW wisely still only gave us a taster of this, and they did so in the, uh, the New York show as well. And every time these two are on the mic, they just leave me wanting more. Uh, and as Steve says, it built really nicely for what we got later on as well. It's just, it's just brilliant stuff, these two on the mic. It's, I, I could listen to them go at it on the mic all day long. They are, well, Pillman is in an ultra, ultra class of his own. Douglas is excellent. Just plug them in and watch them go. Yeah, Pillman's pissed off, Douglas is pissed off, it kind of works. This is Douglas playing the, the, the role he kind of played in 1994 in ECW, just this, this representative of the house almost, in that he's the voice of the ECW fans rallying against WCW and the WWF, you know, particularly, it's, it's only a week later that, that Pillman's back on Nitro, um, and the angle that we are going to review later on actually happened before this, and I think a fair few people who probably travelled to both shows would have seen the, the, the stuff with what happened with, with Douglas and Pillman the night before already. Um, whether this angle as a whole benefited anybody, we'll discuss in a bit, but in terms of if you take each chapter in turn, they're, they're all quite effective in one way or another. Um, and, you know, Douglas, for, for all of his faults, uh, reminds us how good he can be when he goes to rip off his shirt. Uh, he gets all the way to the collar. The collar doesn't break. He's like, oh, fuck you, Hogan. You make it look so much easier than that. Um, which, which, which fit the character perfectly. And he ended up wearing it like a cape, which worked really well. Um, 
We'll discuss that more later on. We move on next uh, to the Eliminators, uh, Cronus and Saturn versus the Dudley Click, uh, which is Bubba Ray Dudley and Hack Myers. I think it says a lot about they've got so many Dudleys yet they're only using one of them. Uh, Big Dick chokeslam Saturn. We cut to Hack Myers laying waste. Saturn hits a lovely Frankensteiner on Bubba. Myers takes the title elimination and the Eliminators retain the titles. Again, another match that's probably not long enough to cover. Uh, we'll chat about a match in a minute. Uh, in fact, we'll chat about this one. It's Chris Jericho. Uh, uh, make, sort of making his debut, sort of not, uh, yesterday or the night before, uh, against Taz uh, with Bill Alfonso. Taz starts with a forward roll takedown into a Fujiwara armbar. Jericho does his own arm submission into a bridge. Fans chant Lionheart, which is Jericho's kind of wrestling name. Jericho reverses a waistlock into a German suplex with bridge for a two. Taz gets a pep talk from Alfonso on the outside. Taz returns to the apron. Jericho jumps diagonally off the top and kicks Taz to the floor. Then does it again. Hits a crossbody to the outside. Jericho hits a top rope splash for a two. Then a lion salt and another two. Taz hits a northern light suplex into a lovely bridge but Jericho kicks out. Jericho flips out of a second rope belly to back suplex and runs over Taz with a clothesline. Taz hits a Taz plek. Jericho starts selling a bad neck injury. Referee Jim Molino stops the match, but Jericho says he's fine. The match restarts. Jericho hits a big kick, but Taz hits another Tazplex. They're locked in the Taz mission, and Jericho is out. Uh, we will discuss the punishment angle in a minute, um, but suffice to say that, given that Taz didn't let go of the hold, Jericho ends up winning the match by disqualification. Rory, what do you think of the match? Uh, great stuff. They only gave us about six minutes, but they packed tons in there. This was a brilliant way to debut, or sort of debut, uh, Jericho. It got over his moveset, which I'm massively impressed by. And it also got over the fact of the character I think he's going to be playing in ECW, which is a plucky, up-and-atom, never-say-die babyface. And he played that role to perfection. And once again, as I said when I was on the show a few months ago, Taz is really getting over as this ruthless, virtually cruel man of destruction. Just whipping Jericho at the end, locking him in the ultra Taz mission and not letting go while Bill Alfonso does Bill Alfonso stuff uh, on the outside. Fantastic. And the lack of a absolute decisive finish with it being overturned by DQ at the end means that we might well be getting some more Jericho Taz in the future. And uh, fingers crossed for that because the taste that they gave us here, fantastic. Steve. Yeah, it just wasn't long enough, but it's enough to give us, as Rory says, a nice taster. And if we can get this again uh, a couple of times, uh, you know, it wouldn't be such a bad thing uh, from from me. Um, Jericho looked very, very strong in in this sort of match, uh, short match that we got. Some great suplexes, um, I mean, by both guys. And, and there's a Northern Lights uh, suplex by Taz that was so just perfectly executed you know it, it could have scored a 10 at the gymnastics in the olympics it was that sort of superb um and then that was just before we got that brutal looking um suplex in which uh jericho lands on his head which looked um it looked pretty nasty actually um and it, it, you know very hard hit and very very realistic just could have went longer for me but if if, if it's just a taste it was a great taste yeah, six minutes. Um, I think the idea was let's try and you know they're, they're building Taz so hard right now. Um, even guys that you would think would be on his level are struggling to hand with him. See, yeah, you know, Bam Bam Bigelow to a point. See, Mikey Whitbreck and guys like that. So it's tricky in the sense that this is a pairing that 
perhaps on another day you may not do in the sense that Jericho, you bring a guy in, you're going to introduce him to your crowd, maybe having him pass out in a submission isn't the best thing to do, but the way they framed it, it wasn't a particularly long match. They kind of had him have a sort of out in that he kind of got injured. Um, but in, and you know, so when Taz locked it in, yeah, um, as I say, maybe on another night you don't do the match with a new guy, but given what they did, I think they got it just about right. Excuse me, they, you know, in terms of not having a particularly long match, having a very even match, and Jericho gets caught. Um, and you know, as we'll see later on, Jericho had a very good show with Cactus Chat the night before too. Um, so between those two matches, you know, Jericho comes in, you know, it may be a loss, but when you frame it with what they framed around this match and what we're about to come to in a sec, it didn't take away from Jericho, which I think is a part of it. Anyway, Damien Stone attempts to release the hold. Out comes more help in the form of the Eliminators and Brian Pillman. Taz relents, then shapes for Pillman, who all of a sudden has lost some of his bravado. He does have time to take out El Puerto Ricano on the R-way, but he legs it when Douglas charges down the R-way, who ends up being held back by Pitbull 2. Pillman runs around the ring, swan dies over the guardrail, straight into the arms of Boatswain, and gets taken out of the building. Douglas ends up in the ring and a standoff is teased between Douglas and Taz. Taz legs it and Douglas and co. tend to Jericho. Steve, what do you think of this post-match angle? Yeah, I like the tease between Taz and Douglas um, because they didn't overdo it. There's a, there's a different story to tell here and it's not between Taz and, uh, and, and Shane Douglas. But I liked, the, I just liked the, all the elements at play. Just adding more fuel to this fire. I really, really enjoyed that. Um, it, whether anything comes of it, whether anything comes of, 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 of Pillman being involved in this bit, but they're just they're building and building and building, and it's going to get to a point where, you know, people are going to just be clamouring for a ticket to see uh, Douglas and Pillman, and the, the way they weave it through the show, it's not overkill for me, I love it, it's absolutely fantastic. Roy? Yeah, one of ECW's strengths are their ability to interlink stories, and they managed to do this here by bringing Douglas in a match between Chris Jericho and Taz, remember, they managed to have Shane Douglas out there, and it felt like the most natural thing in the world after Pillman had left. And it felt, yep, I know where this is going, they're teasing Taz and Douglas. That's the logical end to this uh, little two or three minutes. And that's where they went. And I really want to see that match as well. And I'll tell you what I would like to see, it's not going to happen now, but uh, Taz v Pillman, but um, that's one for the dreams, I'm afraid. Yeah, we might have to wait a while for that one. Yeah, no, you're both completely right in your assessment in the sense that, well, and I said, this, I think I said this last month as well. One thing ECW stands out a lot more compared to say WWF and WCW is that the national promotion tends to compartmentalise their feuds a lot more. Um, so X in a program with Y, or a segment with X and Y will come out, and then we'll we'll ship them off to the back, and then we'll reset, and we'll start a new match after commercial break, and then we'll do another program with this guy and this other guy. Um, I don't even know necessarily that they were teasing anything with Taz and Douglas. I think it was just more. These two things interlink. There is a reason that Douglas and Taz should have a beef in the sense that those two should both believe they're kings of this castle. And therefore, we have them both out there. Let's have them stand off. I think if they were teasing something, that would imply they might get to it in a couple of months. They may not. It was more just a very natural thing to do once you'd taken the angle in that direction. Once you've got Pillman out there, it makes 100% sense to get Douglas out there. While Taz is still in the ring, once Pillman goes, it makes a lot of sense for those two to confront each other because it's just a natural thing to do. It's not something necessarily it's going to 
play out in the next couple of months. It's just, oh, that's a reminder, actually, these two are two of the biggest kings of this castle. Someday we're going to find out who's better. Maybe not yet, but we'll just we'll just leave that at the back of people's minds. Very, very effective. I like what they did with Pillman. Um, I like the post match angle. I think it's two really big thumbs up. Um, Rory, let's discuss the Pillman stuff now. I think it's a good time to do it. We've got the stuff with um, the angle from New York that we'll review, but I think this is this is essentially the last thing we see of Pillman. Actually, no, it's not. We do get a bit more TV. Um, but we'll, in terms of the effectiveness from the stuff we've seen on this show and the stuff we saw on TV before, what, what are your thoughts on the Pillman stuff in terms of what they've done with it? When Brian Pillman turned up on uh, Hardcore TV on uh, Cyberslam last month and the promo he cut was one of the most electrifying I've ever seen or heard in a professional wrestling context. It was spellbindingly good. Sat in a completely different universe to almost anything else I've seen in wrestling. I've been a fan for many years. Where do you go after that? (laughs) And everything else they've done since has been watchable. It's been interesting. They've kept the fire burning, but I don't think they've quite moved on from it. A lot of the stuff we've seen has been standard, good standard, but still standard professional wrestling angle stuff. Whereas the promo at Cyberslam was completely otherworldly. And I didn't like, <laughs> I didn't like him wrestling with a pencil and using the word job on television, even in ECW, that's going too far. And I really, really didn't need to see all of Brian Pillman at the end of the show either. But there you go. <laughs> at least, uh, just put, put out a little disclaimer beforehand, that's fine. So, he's, Got himself over in every in every skit he's done by the sheer strength of his personality and the brilliance of his mic work. But when we come to look back on it, maybe they didn't quite get to the heights that they really wanted to with this because they shot their bolt early with the Cyberslam promo, which if there's a promo of the year, that's going to be it's going to take something very special to beat that. But for me, that's as good as it got by a fair way. Steve? Yeah, it's electric stuff. And you get a feeling that they're building and building and I just don't want it to build to nothing or just fizzle out. And, uh, you know, as Rory says, it started off, you know, the the, the, the promo at Cyberslam. And to be able to keep it up and not, and then not get to a conclusion is is a worry of mine because he's been around now for sort of what three four weeks or so have, have we seen him now? Uh, um, well, in terms of um, big ass extreme bash, which comes the second weekend, so it's about three weeks. Three weeks, yeah, yeah, it's about three weeks, and uh, you know, w- w- clearly with buildings or something, I just don't want it to fizzle out because it's start. But but I mean, he's electric. Every, everything that he does. You know, it, it, it's absolutely fine. Within the ECW environments as well, um, like Rory says, he, let's just hope it, it doesn't become too smart. You know, yeah, you know, the, 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 yeah. the pencil, you know, is, is, is very broad strokes, isn't it? You know, we all, we all understand what's happening there. I, we don't want it to get too smart. We want to just keep up that electricity that, that is, uh, is in the air and really, really go somewhere with it. And the fear is that they may not. Well, yeah, I mean, there's the, the theory goes at the end of the month that it kind of, this might be it. Um, what, 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 what we've seen on this show, what we'll review from New York, uh, on the hardcore TV and the couple of skits we got afterwards. 
Um, he did appear on Nitro. He was being billed for Uncensored and they never turned up. I don't know what happened there. Um, but as I understand it, there's a very good chance it might be it. There's also, as I understand it, there was never really perception he was ever going to wrestle, um, which may partly explain why it didn't really go anywhere. They just kind of thought, we've got Pillman. He's doing his thing. Let's just utilize him while we've got him. Douglas is a good foil. They can have some entertaining back and forth. And that's the end of that. Um, yeah, I'd agree though. When someone comes in and cuts that kind of promo in February, you're kind of thinking, okay, we've got some big plans. And they, I wouldn't say they didn't, they just more couldn't. Um, and so I think in terms of the parameters that they were in, I think they actually did a very good job just in terms of creating something very interesting, quite fun to watch. It's, whether it's done a lot for Pillman, I don't know. Pillman rocks up on Nitro, and we'll cover this in the we'll cover this in the WCW part. I don't know that Pillman rocked up on Nitro and he was a bigger star because of three weeks in ECW. I don't know that enough people cared. Um, but in terms of, I think it was another thing where it's another layer of notoriety for ECW. I think it's done a lot for Douglas, um, who came back, and he came back, we remember in January, that kind of mid-card debut with Bubba Ray Dudley, which disappointingly hasn't gone anywhere. I'm, I'm still waiting for those vignettes. Um, but that, you know, that kind of thing happened and went okay, and then they sort of moved Douglas along. It, Pillman, if nothing else, has helped position, you know, and I don't think this was Pillman's goal, but Pillman, if nothing else, from an ECW point of view, has helped reposition Douglas in this, you know, kind of gatekeeper for ECW. The guy that represents ECW, you know, if there was ever a meeting of the WWF, WCW and ECW, Douglas would be leading the charge, probably alongside Paul Heyman. Um, but yeah, I, uh, entertaining segments, has anyone drawn any money as a result of it? Mm. I don't know. Um, we'll, we'll come to the New York thing later, but I think now is a, uh, a good time to chat about it. But in terms of a little kind of storyline stitched throughout the early part of the show, probably a thumbs up. Next up, it's Juventud Guerrero against Rey Mysterio in a two out of three falls match. Mysterio takes Guerrero down into a surfboard. Guerrero counters into a leg lock. Mysterio rolls it into a leg lock of his own with a bridge and then into a chin lock. Mysterio hits a hurricane runner from the top. Rolls through a test of straight and then hits a monkey flip. Guerrero flips out into a body scissors and then a failed pin attempt. Guerrero goes for a total well slam, but Mysterio rolls him up almost to the first fall. Mysterio hits a head scissors to the outside and stops the dive when Guerrero moves. Mysterio pivots on the apron, hits a top rope moonsault to the floor. Guerrero follows Mysterio to the top. Mysterio slides out of it to a power bomb for a two. Guerrero hits a nice brain buster. He then hits a springboard rolling drop kick to Mysterio. That was nice. Guerrero hits a dragon suplex, and that's the first fall. Read restart. Mysterio hits a hurricane rana. Guerrero charges into the corner for a block, but Mysterio moves. On the apron, Guerrero hit, gets hit by a hurricane rana, sending him to the outside. John Finnegan leads through the ropes to check on Guerrero. Mysterio then runs at him, using him as a launching pad for a somersault planter to the outside. Back in the ring, Mysterio hits a power bomb, then a lion salt. Both only get twos. Guerrero goes for a top rope crossbody. Mysterio catching with a drop kick, then a power bomb, and we level at one apiece. Guerrero drop kicks Mysterio off the top, then hits the running drop kick under the second rope. He hits a springboard moonsault off of the apron, landing on Mysterio in the front first row of fans. Back in the ring, he hits a springboard spin kick for a two. He goes for a spring, springboard somersault leg drop, but Mysterio moves. Guerrero attempts a leg drop from the top, but Mysterio catches him into a powerbomb for a two. 
Guerrero hits an impressive press into a fallaway slam for two. Mysterio hits a headstand takedown on the outside. Mysterio hits him with a chair in the first row of fans and hits a springboard somersault plancher into the first row. We go deep into the crowd, through the front door, or the back door rather, to the outside. Mysterio leads Guerrero towards a parked car. Guerrero power bombs him onto the hood. Mysterio then gets up and hits a hurricane runner off the hood onto the concrete. Mysterio launches a, gr- a chair at Guerrero's head. The chair is not in on the chair not onto him, but actually wraps itself around his head. Back in the back in the ring by this point. Guerrero goes for a raised edge off the top. Mysterio counters into a reverse hurricane runner and gets the victory. After the match, Mysterio gets Guerrero onto the table and hits a packaged power bomb through it. Steve, what do you think of this? Uh, this was just unbelievable for me. 17 minutes just flew by. We started in the ring. We went through the arena. We ended up outside in the parking lot. Back again. Some of the spots were just, you know, breathtaking. The speed, the, the fluidity. Um, you know, there was no... It just went straight into it. There was no feeling out process. Uh, we just continued straight from... The, the, the match that they had the night before, um, they actually start out by just spitting at each other, really, um, and, and then we're straight into it. Um, they get There's a few bits that they get a bit tangled up near the corner um, in, in one bit, but it's it's just such a great... It's all so fluid and so sort of... You can dismiss the, some of the bits that, that, that they blow. It's just a brilliant, brilliant um, 17 minutes. It just flies by. Rory? Absolutely mind-blowingly brilliant stuff. It's just stunning action. And one of my main criticisms of the Lucha style is that the spectacle can often override the intentions of the match. That's not the case here. I genuinely believe that both men in here were trying to win the contest rather than just put on a show. And in doing so, they really did put on a show. Everything they put together looked lithe. It was crisp. Oh, it was absolutely be- beautiful. Some really complex exchanges that they pulled off. They hit everything they went for. Some stunning reversals. I mean, I, I could be here. I could be here until the end of the year, just um, running through every single wonderful spot they did. This was captivating, and it, it's, it's, it's listed as being. Extreme Lucha, so we had a few chair shots in there as well, and the the power bomb onto a car. But that they were just there to add a bit of salt and pepper to the action. They 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 didn't override it or become the become the prime mover in any way. The main part of the match was these two phenomenally talented wrestlers just going out there and giving us some mind blowing action for 17 minutes. I loved it. The crowd loved it. Just. Just fantastic. Yeah, this was the, the, the second of two, two out of three falls match they, they did over these pair of shows. It's interesting to find out that the New York crowd didn't, uh, didn't take to it anywhere near as well as the Philadelphia crowd did. I think in part because the Philadelphia crowd have seen these guys before and also, well, in fact, they have seen Mysterio and Uven 2 before, actually, I think on one of the New York shows a couple of months ago, but they're, they're not used to this style, and I think if you're in New York and you're not at the ECW arena every week and you're not watching TV every week, you go to ECW expecting a kind of wrestling, and it's probably not this. Um, but this was a fantastic match in front of an audience that wanted to like it. Um, 
there's an issue, but there's always going to be an issue with Lucha Star Wrestling when it comes to a lack of selling and a lack of storytelling. Um, but again, while the action is so impressive, you can kind of forgive it in a really weird kind of way. Like, you can kind of forgive a lack of selling when they're, when they're packing this much stuff in. Um, a ludicrous amount of spots. I mean, it's, it's one of those things. There were so many kind of eight, nine out of ten spots. None of them really stood out. Um, the, the, the finish with the, re, the kind of reversal off the razor's edge from the second rope into the reverse Hurricane Rana. We've actually seen it before, um, but that's still damn impressive. Um, it was nice to see them go outside. We don't get that very often on ECW shows. And just a fantastic match. It's not the kind of style of wrestling I'm, I'm massively enamored with, but hell, like, even if you don't love it, you can still admire the, the skill of the two guys involved. And, and on a show that, you know, you'll, on a show where that's not always apparent, you know, it's a, it's a very mixed bag ECW when it comes to styles and types of wrestling. Um, a lot of this show, particularly as we get deeper into it, was walking brawl, crowd side stuff, and, and, and some of the match reviews I've got are kind of shorter on the basis that it's difficult to review stuff from on the TV that just sprawls into the crowd because you don't see a lot of it. Um, this, the, the flip side of having all of that is that this stands out even more than it would do anyway. Um, and Steve, it's not hard to see why some people think this is the future. No, def- definitely not. And you said right at the top of the show that, you know, ECW can sometimes be um, just brawls and, and violence and, and sometimes you get a little bit sort of, you know, desensitised to that and it, it, be- it can sometimes become a little bit the same. When you've got something like this, though, in the middle of a show, or pretty much in the middle of a show, and then those other things can work around it. To me, this whole show, the whole two days, as I said before, that these two matches, and particularly the second one, is just the linchpin to the entire show. It was just fantastic. And if, like Rory says, you know, you don't want it to just be a series of moves. You want them to still be able to tell a story, still be hard hitting, still go for the win. And this had everything for me. And if this is the future, if this is what we're going to get more of, and it's going to be like this, then, uh, you know, sign me up now because I, I was just bl- absolutely blown away by it. And I'm someone that's been raised over the last seven years, I'd say, on WWF action. So for me to come in and, and look at this and, and, and see what these two guys could produce on two nights as well. And the length that they did it, you know, we, we you could understand maybe, you know, putting something like this on for a six or seven minutes, but they went nearly 20 minutes and they went all throughout the arena. It didn't spoil the, the, uh, the match by going out and leaving the ring. It just added to it. And, um, I, 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 I'm speechless really, uh, which is not what you want really, but I'm absolutely speechless at how great this match was. I just, I fell in love. Roy. Yep. If this is the future, then, then take me there right now. Uh, both, both of these matches, it's nearly 35 minutes worth of action and action is the word they managed to fill every last second with something and it was something which mattered every last beat of the match was for a reason and it wasn't just a spectacle it wasn't just a display these were two wrestling matches and the scouting network that uh Paul Heyman must have to, to get, bring these guys in from, from a, from a North American perspective, bringing them in from almost out of nowhere. I don't know how he does it, but 
we are the lucky ones, and long may it continue. Yeah, I'll be very interested to see how this translates to a national stage. Uh, you know, we ran a story, I think, last month about WCW being in contact with Conan about trying to get Mysterio, Guerrero, et al., uh, onto their shows and away from ECW. No real development on that this month, you know, in, what, partly because we haven't heard any news and partly because they, they've been on this show. Um, I would be surprised, if not a bit disappointed, if WWF aren't looking at these guys as well. Um, but it will be interesting to see, because there's a, t- a temptation to group these in with, these guys in with Guerrero, Benoit, Malenko. There's a cop, you know, in terms of when they move to WCW, there's a couple of things that, that are different about this in the sense that one, those three guys are all, um, native English speakers for, for, for a kickoff. Um, and also in the sense that they look like traditional wrestlers. They're all big guys. They're all muscly. I wonder what happens when Rey Mysterio, a guy who's barely over five foot tall, looks maybe 17 years old. He's a bit older than that, but he doesn't look it. Um, turns up in a mask, Human 2 Guerrero turns up in his get-up. How a WWF or WCW crowd respond to that? Mm. I don't know. That'll be fun to see, because there's no guarantee. We we sort of found out about it in New York, in the sense that when you've got an audience that doesn't necessarily have that ingrained in them, this style, or at least have that open-mindedness ingrained in them, or just the fact that we know these guys are going to be good because we've read about them, as a lot of the ECW fans would have done. How that translates is another story, but equally, once the bell rings, I kind of find it difficult to think people aren't just going to be impressed. Uh, forget the size, forget the maybe the, the, the lack of natural English language speaking from these guys. Once the bell rings, it's it's wrestling being a universal language, and this is different to what they're seeing, but in many ways it's better. Um, so we'll see. But while they're in ECW, I think certainly this is the place they're going to get the chance, the chance to show off their skills in, um, in, in such a kind of raw and complete form. And, and this is it. And it's, you can only have high praise. Anyway, we will move on. It's Mikey Whitbrack against Cactus Jack. They announced this as being Cactus Jack's final match in ECW, which gets positive crowd response. Jack says, says someday Mikey will be able to tell his kids Cactus Jack's last match was with him, but he'll be damned if he'll be able to tell them that he beat Cactus Jack. Mikey's wearing a neck brace following his match with Taz the previous night in New York. Jack dominates the early goings with a beat down in the corner, followed by a running knee. On the outside, Cactus Jack goes for three chair shots, but Mikey ducks them all. Cactus remains in control. People keep handing Cactus weapons, and he keeps throwing them away. Mikey rallies back into the ring, clotheslines both of them, clean over the top rope before driving Cactus into the guardrail, then hitting a belly-to-back suplex onto the concrete floor. Mikey tries a reverse hurricane runner off the top, but Cactus blocks it and drops him onto the timekeeper's table. Cactus leans the table up against the ring post, hits a belly-to-back suplex, and the table barely even moves as Mikey just bounces off of it. Cactus hits an elbow drop off the second rope to Mikey on the outside. That's the first time he's done it as a heel in ECW, I think. Cactus grabs a chair, but Mikey kicks it into his face. They brawl into the crowd. Mikey hits the top rope flip die to Cactus Jack in the crowd. The crowd, as they've been all night, respond with ECW chants. Cactus hits a suplex onto the concrete. Back in the ring, Cactus hits a pile driver, then a double underhook DDT, which Mikey kicks out of. 
Katniss hits a running leg drop on the apron, then an elbow drop, uh, elbow from the floor to Mikey on the apron. On the floor, Cactus hits a neck breaker over the guard rail. That looked lovely. Cactus then goes to the apron, jumps for a reverse back elbow, but Mikey moves and Cactus crashes into the guard rail. Mikey hits Cactus with a chair once, twice, three times over the head, then a fourth, which finally sends Cactus down. Mikey pins him, but Cactus kicks out too. A fan hands Cactus Jack a vinyl LP album. Jack just runs off with it back into the crowd. Around towards the eagle's nest, Mikey hits a suplex, then climbs to the camera position. Then it's a big slash off the eagle's neck to the floor. I'd say that was about a ten-foot drop. Back in the ring, Mikey comes off to the top, but Cactus catches him with a forearm. Jack strikes Mikey with a chair across the back three times, then hits the pile driver to the chair, onto the chair, sorry. And that will end that. We will come to the post-match angle in a minute. Rory, what do you think of the match? What a great match, quite simply. Or, what, before we get to anything else, I mean, Cactus Jack, we, we love him in these parts, and quite rightly so. But one of the things I think we underrate is his wrestling ability. He's got the fundamentals down. I mean, <laughs> I know that was what made him a heel in ECW three or four months ago, but I think that the crowd reaction he got today uh, indicates to me that the crowd really do appreciate that, that he can go in the ring, and I think that's going to stand him in good stead where he's heading next. And Mikey's getting better and better and better as well. So they put together a really well-built and well-structured match with some very nice sequences. Obviously, it had the ECW moments in there as well. But when these two got together, I get the impression these two really do like working together as well. And if you have somebody in the ring who you can trust or you can balance things out with, it makes for a much better, a much better viewing contest. It even had a bit of comedy as well when uh, Cactus was being handed some really rubbishy weapons. I think somebody handed him a sieve at some point, and he just uh, he just threw it away. <laughs> Although uh, the Leonard Cohen album did uh, did get in the ring. Sadly, we didn't get uh, Cactus singing his own version of Suzanne at the end. But uh, th- this was great, an emphatic finish. Um, I suppose you could argue that in his last match, should Cactus really have won? But I wasn't really worrying about that at the time. This was terrific. And, yeah, I'm going to say it, a very fitting way to go out for somebody who I just cannot say enough good things about. Two big thumbs up yet again. Steve? Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. It was a perfect match to uh, to sail off into the sunset uh, too. You know, we, we, we go out to the floor and we get, the guardrail shots and, and we get some brutal sort of chair shots as well and some bumps. But it's the stuff that happens in the ring, as Rory rightly says, that, you know, it, it, it resonates because you know it's his last match. You know that these two guys have been through it. And um, it, it's such a good story as well. You know, yeah, yeah we get the, the, the balcony dive and, and, and stuff like that. But it's a great, great match. Um, as <laughs> The... the Despite of all the stuff that happened, despite the stuff that happens outside the ring, um, it just again, you know, it's a great match, a great show, and um, a perfect uh, sort of farewell finale for Cactus. Yeah, um, he's had a lot of very different styles, types of matches in ECW. This was, as um, I, I noted, I thought it was significant. He did the elbow drop off of the um, off of the apron. Um, I haven't seen that in a while. In fact, I think when he immediately after he turned heel a few months back, he teased it and then didn't do it, and we haven't kind of seen it since. So I thought that was kind of a a nod to this is my final match. Um, a really, really good brawl. 
Um, again, the kind of thing that I like this. I don't like the fact that we had about four matches that followed that kind of replicated this style in that yeah. you get to the end of the show and, you know, say every month, not all this ends up on TV. Some of it's just for the live crowd. Some of it will only end up on home video, et cetera, et cetera. But this is the kind of thing that if you can position and, you know, produce some of your other matches a bit more conservatively, will stand out more. Um, and okay, it came up first, but I don't know whether if this had been followed by a couple more matches, I and mean, I thought this placement was quite interesting, given that it was quite relatively early on the card, given that this actually could have been the, the main event, and perhaps should have been. Um, I kind of thought that this would have been the perfect way to, to finish the show, as it was uh, a, a fantastic match. I said some pretty outrageous things, and to have 99% of you give me this kind of reception, it makes it all seem worth it. when I really hated getting out in this ring in front of you people. Thank you. For these four-hour shows that ECW puts on, I got to tell you, I sat back in front of the monitor and had the time of my life for about three hours and 45 minutes of it until it came time to get out here. But I'll tell you what I see when I'm back there enjoying those shows that I've never seen in any other wrestling organization I've been in is a group of people who give a damn. A group of people who root for their fellow wrestlers don't sit back there and wait for them to screw up. So listen... If this organization can last without Terry Funk, it sure as hell can do without Cactus Jack. Hey, it's true. There's a hell of a lot of talent out there that's just dying to be seen here. And this arena is the highlight for them. I can tell you for a fact that the people in New York City are a bunch of scumbags. shoulder injury for guys who just wanted to come in and show what they could do like the eliminators to somebody like Sabu who's risked his life week in and week out here I feel pretty sure you can do without Cactus Jack but I'd like to think I'd like to think hey and if me and the sign guy can make you friends and he started this whole thing. Yeah. 
Let's hear it for John. <laughs> He's afraid to let go of me because he thinks you'll see him crying. But you know what? This is my show, man. There's two guys back there who need some special mention. Two guys sitting in the chairs right now who really are the lifeblood of ECW. Let's face it, without them, there would be no extreme championship wrestling. One of them is he's, he's a creative genius. The other guy's a, a visionary who saw what he wanted to accomplish and went about conforming ECW. So right now, I'm going to bring him out here. Now, this is classy. I've seen eye to eye. Really classy. I'm going to bring out the two people that make this whole thing work. The Heartbreak Kid, Stevie Richards. Fans sound their appreciation at the end of the match with a standing ovation. We get large Cactus Jack chants. Cactus goes after Mikey, offers out a hand and pulls him to his feet before offering him a hug. Jack said leaving this arena was almost as hard as having to sue his uncle Eric. That's another thing we'll hear about in the WCW part of the show this month. I said some pretty outrageous thing and to have 99% of you giving this kind of reception makes it all seem worth it. Cactus makes it up with sign guy as a sign that says keep Keep Uncle Vince away from Dewey. Cactus starts making good with some of the fans in the front row. He then says that he wants to praise the pair of visionaries and creative geniuses without whom ECW wouldn't exist. He is, of course, on about Stevie Richards and the blue meaning. <laughs> they come out and Cactus Jack says if he had one last wish, it would be to do the Fargo strut out of the ECW which he, Richards, and Meany do. Uh, Rory, this this promo has got a lot of praise from people who were, were at the show, and quite rightly so. Absolutely wonderful. So we're only in March. We've already had two major, major contenders for promo of the year. We had Pillman last month, and we've got this from Cactus this month. This isn't a word we use often to, de- to describe anything in ECW, but I'm going to. It was just nice. It was nice. It was Cactus Jack, Mick Foley, whatever you want to call him, just saying thank you. And people in the audience, a very select group in the audience, as we know, appreciating that. It was just absolutely lovely to see. And he wanted to strut out of the arena because he wanted to strut out of the arena. And he strutted out of the arena. Just perfect. For all of the, the brickbats and the criticism that professional wrestling gets, at its best, nothing produces moments as truly nice and real as this can. And it was a privilege to watch it. Steve? Yeah, it's just so genuine, wasn't it? And, you know, he's, he's trying not to 
burst into tears uh, ch- during it, and it must, you know, it's so emotional for him, and, and to to have actually been there would be something else. You know, we only get how, how it comes across on TV to us, but um, yeah, you know, it's just heartfelt, isn't it? You know, and because the crowd appreciate him, he appreciates the crowd as well. No matter what side of the fence he's on, face or heel, you know, he he, he gets it. The crowd get it, and it's um, it's just a perfect, perfect sign off, and um, hopefully he goes on to um, some really good things because he deserves it um, and you know we don't know what the future is going to bring but hopefully you know he's one of the good guys I'd say in um, in, in wrestling no when when Guerrero Malenko left ECW there was the kind of thought that I don't want to say that they owed ECW anything but more that they arrived as something and they grew into something else I don't know whether ECW fans could say that Cactus Jack was necessarily, you know, he showed off a lot of his skills, but I don't know that you could say about Cactus Jack what you might have said about Guerrero Malenko and, and Benoit in the sense that ECW helped finish their characters off. So this was kind of a more different send-off. You know, Jack's, Jack was around WCW for a while before he left there and came here. And so this was more of a stepping stone between two big things rather than with the others where it was more of a kind of launch pad. And I think this was more of a, you know, we could add the public enemy into that kind of uh, comparison as well. This was more of a, you know, thank you for coming rather than a, you know, we help make you type send-off. And yeah, I think Rory signed it up quite nicely. Nice probably does really sum it up in the sense that it wasn't too long he didn't he didn't break character because that's the thing when you're playing this kind of character and you're trying to do a send-off promo it's not that easy and he didn't he didn't break character in a way that was jarring um he just kind of you know made peace i think is the best way of doing it and then you're just wondering where it's gonna go with the creative geniuses thing um and just just when he pulls you in just when you think oh this is gonna be this very sentimental moment out come stevie richards and blue me it's like uh-huh. yeah that's the way to end it um and you know he went out well how you wanted to go out doing the strut and that ended that, and it was it was the perfect send-off in many ways. I think the other thing to mention about whether he should have beaten Mike Whipwreck or not, I was thinking about that during the match was going on, and I kind of thought, it. you know, I suspect that's the kind of match they both went to each other and went, I want you to win. And yeah. I just wonder whether they got to the end of it and they just went, look, the, the more logical thing to do here, particularly as Mikey Whipwreck, you know, if this had been six months ago, I think Mikey Whipwreck would have won the match. But given that he's not quite in such a prominent role anymore it made more sense just to send Cactus out with a win but equally it was a very even very long match and I think the right guy won anyway we move on next to the Pitbulls with Francine against the Bruise Brothers Ron and Don Harris this actually starts out as a normal tag match one of the Harris Brothers leathers Pitbull 2 with a clothesline in the corner Pitbull 2 flights out, fights out and hits a body slam we cut to Pitbull 1 being sent to the outside. Pitbull 2 does a double clothesline and sends both Harris brothers over. The match now is a standard ECW tag brawl and we quickly get deep into the crowd. We cut to later in the match. They set up a bruise brother for a super bomb and hit it. Out come the fabulous ones, Stevie and the blue meanie. Francine goes after meanie. Stevie levels her, lines her up and hits a super kick. 
Out comes Tommy Dreamer, runs out with the protection he's got holding his arm together, kind of the cast type thing, and uses it as a weapon. And it ends in a no contest. Steve, quick thoughts on this? I think we just about saw enough to, to get some discussion. Yeah, I mean, it's a pr- pretty sort of typical ECW affair with the brawl and the crowd. It's not really until Tommy Dreamer hits the ring that the, the crowd sort of go nuts for it. And um, it, it sort of finishes off with a, you know, an, a, an OK angle. Um, it, it's a shame, really, that it's um, it's it's Steve Richards and the media that come out because we've just seen them in the, in the last sort of segment. And it was quite a nice sort of, you know, sailing off. I know they're not leaving, but um, the fact that they come back sort of spoils it a little bit for me but it's not until Dreamer hits the ring that it, it gets the crowd going on this one other than that it's a fairly sort of standard brawl type thing really yeah not much to say about this uh, what what we got uh, in the final broadcast uh, on the tape was uh, I believe quite heavily uh, heavily clipped uh, I'm, I'm not going to lose any sleep over that particular fact what we saw was watchable from an ECW garbage brawl enough perspective but that's pretty much all there is to say about it Tommy comes in gets the Tommy pop nah I'm, very little to say um, but I do I do, I do, do agree it was odd seeing Stevie and Blue Mini there as in, back in their heel role rather helping out when they helped out Cactus Jack in a genuinely emotional moment in the section beforehand that was quite jarring it didn't quite work but at least it's given me else something to talk about from this particular match <laughs> which there was very little going on that we haven't seen a billion zillion times before yeah um you know this is the kind of thing where sometimes ecw will overbook for the sake of overbooking i think this is one of those things there are yeah, the amount of ecw matches that end in run-ins or contain runs are just far too high um, yeah, you know, it, it's difficult watching all these shows front to back and that you can do run-ins for a live crowd perspective and then just not show them on TV, so fair enough. Um, but equally, it's an insane amount. Um, and one more uh, quick one. Uh, we get Sabu against Big Titan. Uh, we cut into this match. Titan goes for a slingshot knee drop over the top. Sabu Ross rolls off the table and Titan goes through it knee first, which didn't look fun at all. Uh, Sabu hits a Frankenstein off the top for a two. He then counters the throw with a DDT onto a chair, then an Arabian face buster, and that will do that. Again, uh, we won't discuss this one, but... Um, Sabu is a guy that has, over the last few months, filled the mid-card wrestling role, particularly on occasions where they haven't had Guerrero and Mysterio. Uh, I'd kind of like to see him do that more. Those were those were some of the highlights of those shows. And again, maybe you know, maybe it was cut for other reasons, but I, I just wonder whether this match wasn't all that good. Um, anyway, we uh, we will see. I move on next, it's Shane Douglas against Raven with Kimona Wallalea, Steve Richards and the Blue Mini for the ECW heavyweight title. Raven is on crutches, Richards takes the mic, he says Raven has gout, I think he actually had a broken toe but I think gout's funnier. Uh, Richards insists that Raven doesn't wrestle, Raven actually agrees with him. Douglas grabs the mic, he says he scratched, clawed and manipulated his way to a title shot, he then nails Raven with the mic, then takes him out of the legs. Stevie hits a Stevie kick, Raven then DDT's Douglas who just about kicked out and the match begins Raven attempts to win the match by count out it's pretty obvious that Raven is actually working hurt given the amount of shortcuts they end up taking Douglas cuts off the third attempted count out win they both attempt apron suplexes Douglas dumps him on, uh, on the turnbuckle then knees him to the floor 
Douglas attempts a Rey Mysterio style diagonal turnbuckle dive to the outside. It's, it's a good effort, at least. Douglas DDTs Raven onto the chair. Kimona comes in and breaks up the pin, which doesn't impress Douglas, who spanks her. Douglas appears to let his guard down, takes a kiss, but then shoves her to the ground. Raven low blows Douglas. Raven charges at Douglas with a chair. Douglas pulls the ref into the path of the chair, who goes down. Douglas goes after Raven with his crutch. The fabulous ones go after Douglas. Meany attempts a rather impressive moonsault, but still misses. Douglas gives all three of them belly-to-belly suplexes. Goes for a cover, but there's no ref to make the count. Out come the Bruise Brothers. They give Douglas a double big boot, who barely kicks out. Raven takes the chair to the face, then a butt attack from Douglas um, into the chair, into his face. Douglas says done a belly-to-belly. Douglas does an atomic drop on the chair, then a clothesline off of it. He attempts to bulldog Raven onto the chair in the corner. Raven counters, DTs Douglas onto the chair and wins the match. After the match, the Bruise Brothers come out and attack Douglas until Dreamer comes out with a chair. The Bruise Brothers turn their attention to Dreamer. Sandman comes out with a cane and lays waste to everyone. Freya puts a chair over Raven's bad leg. He and Sandman have a conference over who should be able to do the attack on Raven's injured leg. Douglas takes advantage of them stalling and does a dive off the top onto the chair. We now have Douglas, Dreamer and Sandman in the ring. Douglas tries to reason with them. Dreamer disappears but Sandman lines up Douglas. Out comes Scorpio who argues with Sandman and the segment ends. We will come to the post-match angle in a bit. Steve, what do you think of the match? Uh, the match itself was okay. I quite enjoyed the fact that he did have a sore foot, really, and, and, and whether it was gout or, or what, just because it was then an excuse for um, the, the run-ins and stuff that we got. Um, you know, he, he could, couldn't really do it on his own, so we had to get people to come in and, you know, be in the heel. That's sort of what we expect. So I, I didn't mind that so much. Um, and obviously what we got at the end, um, but the match itself was... I mean, not very memorable, but they did what they could, and I'm guessing he's genuinely hurt, so they they did what they had to do. Rory? It, it would have been, if this had been some other organisation, I can't think what one. I think our old friend Card Subject to Change might have been dropped in here. But all credit to Raven, he went out there with, and he was clearly, clearly legitimately injured. You could see as soon as the match started, he was favouring uh, his other foot. And he went out there and had a a pretty good match. On this occasion, the overbooking was for a, a legitimate reason. Uh, but it all still played into the, the individual story of the match as well, so that was fine. Uh, some good, uh, some good interaction between the two. Um, a, a, a solid ending, I thought, um, cause I don't think anybody really thought that Douglas was going to be winning the, winning the belt. Uh, he put up a good showing, lost emphatically, but not so much as to completely bury him. And I think they did the best they could in the circumstances. These two are, are certainly capable of a, a better match, but given where we were and the fact that this was actually the main event, either I will I'll let it go and say a good job, the best they could do. If they hadn't have told us Raven was injured. Would anyone have noticed the difference between Raven trying to cover for injuries and just a standard ECW match? Because I don't think it didn't feel any different, did it? Like if Raven wasn't so visibly injured, if the match would have gone taken place in exactly the same fashion. Oh, yeah, I, I, I don't know I that people would have been going. Raven's covering for an injury. I think it would have just been standard ECW match. You know, just a hell of a lot of interference. Um. Uh, 
on a show like this, on a run-in of matches like this, I don't think I would have done the match like this. Um, they've done it before where we've had kind of Dreamer run through Raven's lackeys and his cronies for, for, for a shot at Raven. And I kind of feel like a much better match would have been Douglas beating the piss out of Mealy, having a nice 10-minute match with Richards and then getting a few minutes with Raven at the end. I think that would have made more sense. I know it doesn't necessarily fit into the traditional idea of Douglas getting a title shot, but yeah, some matches you don't need to do, and I don't know whether they needed to do this one. Um, Steve, the the post-match angle, um, they did a bit more of this on TV. They had a bit more of a kind of video package looking at the two of, uh, the, the kind of, the three of Dreamer, Sandman, and Douglas's backstory and how we kind of got here. Um, but how did this play out for you in terms of um, th- this kind of three-way angle? Yeah, I mean, I like—I I mean, I, I, I like Sandman as a as a character, um, and you know, he comes in and he just canes everyone, and and you know, we and we've got Dreamer, and the um, you know, they threaten to sort of drop Dreamer onto the onto the rope, and Dreamer's already injured. Um, and again, if it would have, as you've said, you know, if, if this would have been maybe placed somewhere else on the card or on a different card and what came before um, hadn't have happened, then it would have been perfectly fine. But I'm getting to the point now in the show where I'm just a little bit sort of, you know, I've seen some really, really quality matches and I've seen some really, really good brawls and this doesn't really go into either really, um, for me. Um, I mean, it sets, it sets everything up in terms of, um, Sandman, Scorpio, uh, Douglas, um, but it didn't really do much for me, the, 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 the whole angle at the end. Roy? Oh, I liked it, I must say, and I think the post-match angle is the reason why the match happened. I don't think the suggestion, the suggestion, we could be wrong, but the suggestion that Douglas is going to be out and out turning heel, probably on the Sandman sometime soon. I think we needed to have his, his defeat for the title against Raven to help advance that particular story to give him a reason for doing so. And just the little things they did in it with him laughing behind Sandman's back and then when he turns his head, just goes straight faced again. Again, there's still a long, long way to go and they, they could mess it up. But I thought this was very promising and I like this. Yeah, the, the Taz Douglas tease early in the show was a tease just because. This was a tease yeah. for a story they're going to play out probably over the next month, six to eight weeks maybe. Um, but again, it's the kind of thing where you're watching what you think is a normally post-match angle and all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay, this is a different dynamic. They cleared the ring of the heels and a raven and we end up with the three quote-unquote faces of you know, the three non-raven guys, if you like. Um, and I think it played out in the arena quite well. I like what they did on Hardcore TV following as well, kind of giving a bit more backstory before we got the angle. Um, and it's an interesting dynamic. You know, they are, for right or wrong, they're not positioning Towers at the moment as a guy going after the title. I suspect that will change at some point in the next six months, but I don't think it's their their MO at the moment. I think their their idea with Towers at the moment is just trying to get him over come what may. Um, so they've kind of positioned these three guys against um, Sandman, and I haven't got the results through from this show yet, but I believe the show at the very end of the month was... Dreamer, Sandman and Douglas against Raven and the Harris brothers. 
i.e. the idea of, well, one for the sake of a, a live event, main event, just as a six-man, but also this idea that maybe these three have got to coexist to be able to get title shots against Raven. It's an interesting dynamic, and it's the kind of thing, okay, I've got three characters I like, I kind of, I'm rooting for all of them, but it's an interesting dynamic to see how they play off against each other. The match itself wasn't all that, but I think the post-match angle, Rory, I think you're right in the sense that it, it fueled the post-match angle, and that was a nice development, and I think one of the, probably one of the big takeaways from the month. Anyway, we move on to the main event. We get another Sandman entrance. This one takes an eternity. Well, they all do, really. Uh, traditional ECW three-way rules uh, in the sense that two teams, or, well, teams in this case, or if it's a singles match, singles will start. And then at an point during the match, the third team will come out. So we start off with Sandman and Scorpio against the Headhunters. We start with both Sandman and Scorpio going at it with Canes to both Headhunters. Scorpio hits a top rope splash and pulls up at one. Sandman goes up to the top and drops a shockingly not awful leg drop. Still not great, but he got some elevation for once. Damian Kane comes into the ring and eats some Kane shots, but fights back. They Alexandra and Missy Hyatt start brawling and they get separated. One of the headhunters shoots for a moonsault, hits it. Sandman eats a top rope splash, but the headhunters pull out of the pin. Out come the gangsters. Mustafa puts a headhunter through the timekeeper's table. Sandman flies over the top rope, cane in hand. New Jack seems to catch him in a chin lock. I don't know whether that's just them going down, but the camera angle made it like he caught him. Uh, we now have all six men on the floor. A headhunter gets thrown into the crowd. Scorpio flies from the top and takes out Mustafa and a headhunter into the crowd. Sandman eats a chair shot to the head, then a violent one from one of the headhunters. The brawling continues. A headhunter attempts to die and they drop into the ring. Scorpio moves. Scorpio hits a 450 splash, for once doesn't pull up from the pin, and we have our first pinfall. As is the way, the headhunter hits a second rope splash on Scorpio on his way out. The other headhunter is attacking Sandman in the R-way with a cane. The gangsters attack Scorpio 201 with Sandman seemingly in the back. We get an innovative suplex double kick double, suplex drop kick double team by New Jack and Mustafa. They drop Scorpio over the top rope, a power slam and a top rope splash, and that will do that. Rory. Uh, I, I, this match got better as it went along. Maybe because the Sandman wasn't involved in the finish. Um, right, okay. Get my usual Sandman criticism out of the way. It played to everybody's strengths, i.e. the people who can't really wrestle very well got to whack people with weapons and the three who are pretty decent in-ring performers got to try to carry the action. And it was fine. I was a little bit surprised in the end that uh, uh, New Jack and uh, Mustafa went over. But then I went back and thought about it and thought, well, they cut that big promo at the beginning. Maybe it was telegraphed in a good way that, that, that they went on to win. I was expecting... A Sam and Scorpio victory um, a, a decent swerve at the end and again it, it was watchable because the action was just so fast and furious and again there were absolutely no dead spots there was always something to watch um, you just had people in there who were just going to give you violence to watch and actual moves unless Scorpio was in the ring were going to be at a premium but in as much as the gangsters winning anything can be seen as a feel-good moment. <laughs> uh, but that, that is what we got. And again, the crowd seemed to enjoy it. It was a popular uh, popular victory. And as weird as it sounds, they sent the crowd home happy. So, all told, greater than the sum of its parts, 
a serviceable main event. Steve? Odd, really, that it was the main event. Um, you know, it, it felt more like um, like a house show main event. Um, but once well, the gangsters... Which in many ways it was, don't we? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, obviously we're, we're, we're seeing it. You know, it's not a pay-per-view event, and we're seeing everything that they want to put on the tape, and this was the last thing that, that happened in the arena. So, yeah, yeah, I get that. That it prob- You know, yeah, it, it was a house show main event in, in all but sort of... Um, Words, but when the gangsters come out, that's when it got interesting for me. And the crowd, you know, they love the gangsters. And yeah, it made sense in the scheme of things that they went over at the end. Um, what came before that was sort of just, you know, the typical ECW thing. Um, but yeah, it was okay, you know, for what it was. Um, and it ended on a high. Yeah, the, I think this is one for the fans in the arena, more it is for, for us watching at home. And as I say, yeah. this is the, this is the show this is the kind of thing that won't make it to tv so it's it, it's more for the live crowd i thought the, the the match was quite logical though in terms of you know i think Roy, you said you were surprised at the finish i thought that was the inevitable finish in the sense that i think this is i don't want to be i don't want to overdo it and call it a coronation of the uh the gangsters but i think it's more a indication this is the team going forward this is the team wanting to get behind so from that point of view going against the headhunters i'm guessing a bit more of a part-time act and and sandman and scorpio were kind of part-time in the sense that they that they will have singles matches and they won't um from, from that point of view it works um and yeah like not not the worst match not but equally you know not too long um, and I think the right team won. And I, again, I think one, one for people in attendance, uh, more than anything else. And that's how the show went off the air. Rory, your overall thoughts on this show and a score rating out of 10. We didn't get to see everything and we, so we need to take that into account. But what we were shown was great. There was, there was very little rubbish. Um, there was always, always something to watch, even when the action wasn't, wasn't superb. But when the action was superb, ah, was it ever that? We had some fantastic mic work. We had two, at least two, stunning matches. We had one of the most emotional, real, greatest moments I think I've ever seen for somebody moving on, moving on from a promotion. And it all came together beautifully in a really well put together video package. So, what's the absolute total sum of its parts? Probably wouldn't come to this number. Taking all of that into account, I have no problem giving this a nine. Steve? Yeah, I think it was uh, certainly the best ECW show that I've I've seen. Um, everything about it worked for me in the scheme of things. There were, you know, there were one or two things that 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 weren't absolutely fantastic, but as an overall package. Um, it was just brilliant, and this this is what I would, you know, for anyone who just as a diet of WWF or just as a diet of, of, of WCW, this is this, this whole package, this tape would be what I would give them to say, look, watch this. The, there is an alternative. There is, you know, things and and, and guys doing something different. This is it. Um, it just sort of bowled me over that much. Overall, I'm going to give it a nine. Because there were a couple of things that that did sort of um, let it down a little a little touch, 
Um, and, you know, I mean, no show is absolutely perfect. This came close to perfect, hence the nine. But it was, yeah, I, I loved it. Certainly the best show I've seen from ECW. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, I give the show a six. Um, <laughs> there were, there was some undoubtedly very, very good stuff. Um, but it really fizzled out. Um, uh, and I think when you look at it, this is a, you know, an excellent Hooven 2 Guerrero Mysterio match, a very nice Jack Whipwreck match with a very, very good post-match promo. Other than that, there's some effective stuff, but ugh. I've seen, I've seen really, really good ECW shows. This weren't it. Like, you know, I, I, I think November to remember from last year is the yardstick. I don't think this was as good. Um, also, I think, you know, to, there is something to be said for, and part of the reason we do these, these hardcore TV shows with, with more of a mix of guests this year than we do last is, one, to try and make it a bit more accessible in that when it gets a bit, when we get into a bit, you know, inside references on ECW shows, it doesn't always work. But it's also to get, get fresh people in because I know not everyone listens to this show watches ECW so if you get people that are watching month after month after month it becomes difficult to listen to unless you're watching the same volume um, but an interesting comparison for me who's seen a lot of ECW stuff and for you guys who hasn't maybe I'm just a bit more worn down by some of the stuff that on first or second viewing seems really entertaining um, still a very good show but I think more in patches and it, it did fizzle out I think I think that's hard to disagree with. Um, so I'll give it a 6 out of 10. Brian Pillman, I've had all of you I'm going to take. You're so right. Brian Pillman, I'm not going to waste an ounce of sweat on your little ass tonight. Well, Shane Douglas once again proving himself the better man. Brian Pillman, I'm not going to waste any time with you tonight, my friend. You've got a long time before you climb to my level. I'm not wasting any time on you. The hell I'm not. I'm going to give you one or two choices. You can come over that rail and fight me like a man. Or I'll come over there and drag your ass in here and show you what extreme is all about. Now, Shane, wait a minute. Let's not... Mr. Styles. It's obvious... I can't be Brian Pillman in ECW. I mean, look what happened last time. I tried to... Yeah, keep the fly zip. Wait, wait, wait. With my agent. Agent? I'm here with my cousin Debbie. I'm going to give you to the count of three, Brian, and I'll make the choice for you. Now, Shane, wait a minute. Shane, he's... Whoa! 
One! Shane! Two! Don't do it! Three! Oh, no! You! You scum! You piece of hell! How dare you pull a kid in front of you! Where did you get that? That's disgusting! Get the baby out of there! Well, what do you want me to do? Let a man or you put Tell me, would you knock it off? baby down. I'll give you your money for the ticket. Go home! Shane, why don't you just quit like you quit everything else? You quit WCW. You quit the dynamic dudes. You quit WWF. I'm a real man. I don't quit. I get thrown out of town. Don't let him provoke you. Be a better man. Be a baby down, Pillman. Put the... And we move on just to wrap up the, the TV for a month. A few talking points. We've got one match review to do and a couple of other things, but nothing massive. Uh, we have a hardcore TV on March the 12th with Joe Styles that introduces Shane Douglas. Sat in the crowd watching on is Brian Pillman, who makes a four horseman hand sign, then drops the four down to a three. This is from uh, the New York taping the night before the show we just reviewed. Douglas gets a big reaction and Pillman starts going apeshit in the front row. Styles says Pillman is a ticket-buying fan tonight. Douglas says he can come over the rail and fight him like a man, or he'll climb over the rail, drag him into the ring, and show him what extreme is all about. Pillman protests. He has a ticket, after all. Douglas counts to three, then goes to take a swing, but Pillman has put a mother and child in harm's way to protect himself. I think they implied that was his cousin and his nephew. Pillman says Douglas quit uh, quit WCW, he quit WWF, but Pillman is a real man. He didn't quit. He got run out of there. Pillman ends up taking a shot. Douglas then goes after him and the pair get separated. Pillman escapes and Douglas ends up being held back by multiple security. There's a sign in the front row that says, Eric, can we also borrow Loch Ness? Douglas gets angry and says, the franchise calls the shots. I want that piece of shit now. Douglas also has some words for Ted Turner. Uh, Steve, quickly on this segment, we discussed the Pillman-Douglas stuff earlier. This happened before what happened at... Um, at the big ass extreme bash show, we saw effective segment. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I ate it up up until the bit where they where where, where um, Pillman got the kid in the way, and I just didn't like that. I thought the kid was too young for that sort of thing. I mean, this is just me speaking as a as a dad. I thought the kid looked, looked about two year old, you know. So I didn't like that bit. I just personally, I didn't like that bit. But everything else, I loved. I ate it up. The crowd ate it up. Um, and it really worked. Rory? Uh, yes, uh, I, I agree. I didn't like that particular part either. It goes back to what I said earlier. It's the kind of thing you'd expect to see in a standard wrestling angle, but in, in a, an ECW standard wrestling angle, let's say. And it, it didn't, it didn't feel like, it didn't feel like Brian Pillman to me. I, I could see a lot of standard heels do that kind of thing. Pillman's different, but what we got there was pretty, Pretty rote, pretty ECW rote anyway, and I didn't enjoy that. Otherwise, it was good. It was hot. Uh, it was extreme. I was I was with Douglas every word he said, um, but I just couldn't really. As good as that was, I was just constantly drawn towards that sign about them wanting to bring Loch Ness in. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. 
Well, he is over there after all. Might as well. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, a, a, a nice show opening segment, but not one that I was blown away by from a storytelling point of view. Um, in terms of there are certain things, and, and we're not going to cover it, but there are certain things when they do these kind of dueling shows that feel like they're, they, you know, we see it before. I think we saw kind of a two cold Scorpio Sandman woman angle that seemed to happen in the ECW arena. And then we saw it again in New York. This kind of felt like, you know, it wasn't quite the same as what happened in Philadelphia, but it felt like we've got a different audience. Let's tell the same story. Have reviewing this after having seen the stuff earlier, it kind of felt a bit like repetition, even though it happened before. Uh, out next is Bill Alfonso. Alfonso runs his mouth on Gordon, uh, before hitting him. Gordon asks Alfonso, attacks Alfonso. Taz comes out to give Alfonso the advantage. Taz hands Alfonso the chair, who hits Gordon with it. Out to save Gordon's ass is Bam Bam Bigelow. Taz hits Bam Bam with a soft tear shot. He no-sells it, and Taz and Alfonso run. We get a match between the Dudleys and the Headhunters. Boa Ray get, uh, gets distracted by Lady Alexandra and gets chair shot for his troubles. Uh, but he blocks it and uh, blocks the second one and retaliates. DW takes a superplex and a leg drop, but Bubba Ray grabs an upset with a roll-up. We get a mad promo from Bill Alfonso and a more composed one from Taz, who isn't scared by a man who cannot beat Lawrence Taylor. We then get a brawl involving the Headhunters and the Gangsters. Um, don't forget this happened... Uh, yeah. Headhunters, the gangsters, and just a reminder that this happened before Big Ass Extreme Bash. We move on next to a match review. It's Cactus Jack versus Chris Jericho. So Cactus Jack's penultimate match in ECW uh, alongside Jericho's first. That makes sense, given that we're reviewing it second. Jack gets introduced as being from Stanford, Connecticut, the most hardcore place known to mankind. They introduce Jericho as the last graduate of the Heart Dungeon. Meanwhile, Steve Richards offers mankind the chance to join the Fabulous Ones and do the Fargo Strut. Jack loves that and hugs them before Jericho breaks up the loving. Jericho moves a leg drop, uh, moves from a leg drop and shapes for a drop kick, then a monkey flip and a drop kick, sending an irate Jack to the outside. Jack unloads on Jericho in the corner, goes for a charge, Jericho moves and does another drop kick to the outside, bouncing off the second turnbuckle for an apron drop kick. After crotching Jack on the guardrail, Jericho deals with the fabulous ones. Jack blocks an apron suplex, lifts Jericho onto the apron with him before charging at him. Jericho moved and Jack ate some turnbuckle. Jack drapes Jericho in the tree of row before dropping himself onto Jericho's head. On the outside, Jack suplexes Jericho over the guardrail. Jericho hits a lovely reverse victory roll from the top. The pair exchange rights, then a lovely big splash from over from the top for a two. Cactus kicks out, clotheslines Jericho to the outside and does a jumping leg attack, squashing Jericho onto the guardrail before just dumping him onto it. Jack Pyle drives Jericho in the ring, but Jericho kicks out right before three. Jericho then ducks a right, hits a bridging German suplex, and wins the match. Rory? What a great little match this was again. Right from the very start with that fantastic reference to uh, Stamford, Connecticut, the most hardcore place in mankind. Just fantastic. When ECW, they really do get the little things right when they want to. I thought that was, I thought that was magnificent. And the match lived up to it too. The thing I really liked about this particular match is that uh, it was still it was more of a Cactus Jack match than a Chris Jericho match. You could tell that Jack, as the heel, was driving the car, so to speak. But suddenly we were working more of a more of a standard Cactus Jack style than we got in the Michael Whipwreck match, I would say. But Jericho hung with him, and again, 
that's going to stand him in good stead for, the, for his future in ECW. He showed he can work that particular style. And again, some terrific moments. Just, I've just, I'm just, re- as we're talking, I'm actually replaying the ending in my head. And I'm thinking, what a great way for, for Jericho to get, get, get a victory. A bridging German suplex in which he just about manages to hold Cactus Jack down. It felt like a very sporting end. As, as if, if professional wrestling was a legitimate sport, that is the kind of way you would beat somebody like Cactus Jack. And that was a, a logical and believable end to what was, remember, as far as we're concerned, this was a free television match as well. And everything Cactus Jack, Mick Foley, is touching at the moment is turning to gold. I hope he takes that with him uh, to Stamford. And I cannot wait to see what Chris Jericho has got in store for us because so far he is looking like he is going to light the place up. Steve? This was uh, superb. Yeah, I, I love Jack's face when um, Jericho dropkicks the meanie and uh, Richard out, out <laughs> his face. is just like, what have we done that for? <laughs> I thought that was really good. But it was a brutal match. Um, as Rory says, you know, Jack, le- Jack sort of led the way on it. Um, he really sort of goes to town on, on uh, Chris Jericho. Um, who takes a lot of punishments and, um, you know, and, and I mean, really takes it, you know, really good selling by uh, Jericho's part. You know, he takes boots to the throat and, um, you know, he really gets torn up in there. Um, we get a trademark baseball slide by Jack to, um, to Jericho. We get the elbow to the guardrail um, and he just keeps on coming back for more. And the end was, um, yeah, just a perfect German suplex um, from, from Jericho and a great, great match that really probably too good for TV, really, you know, um, it's the type of stuff that they might have saved for a, a bigger event um, but great 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 stuff yeah um, Jericho's come in and, and, and shown across you know 24 hours that he can hang with two very different types of worker have two very different types of good but short match and if he is around for longer I think it'll be interesting to see it'd be lovely to see him against a you know, a Sabu or Two Cold Scorpio, that kind of opponent, or even someone like Shane Douglas just to, you know, I don't want to say get Douglas over, but almost remind Douglas that, you know, he remind people that Douglas can go. Yeah. Um, but Jericho comes in and, and already seems like a, an uppercut utility man, which after two mites is, is, is testament to, to his ability and how they presented him. But yeah, a, a really good match, a nice surprising victory. Um, I guess maybe that was the thought, well, Jack can put over Jericho but then finishes on a high. That makes sense. Not that I think Jack is particularly an ego driven guy, um, but more that it probably makes sense to give him one win out of the two and this way he does get to put someone over as well. Yeah, big thumbs up from me for this one. Uh, we also get highlights of Taz hitting a lovely Brilliant Northern Lights suplex during a match with Mikey Whipwreck. Mikey responded with a lovely slingshot crossbody to the outside. Taz hit a belly-to-belly suplex clean over the top rope that looked very dangerous. Taz wins it with the Taz mission. Bam Bam sees Taz to the outside, then shapes Alfonso. Taz clips Bam Bam by the knee, locks in the Taz mission, and Bam Bam passes out. Uh, Rory, very quickly, um, interesting use of Bam Bam Bigelow that... They've brought him in, clearly not with the mantra of let's make him a big top star, but more with the mantra of let's use him to help get Taz over. It looks that way, doesn't it? And now they've, they've already referenced uh, him losing to Lawrence Taylor. Uh, even before Bam Bam had got in the ring, we've, we've had that mentioned in an interview. So that is going to... Bam Bam's going to have to carry that around like a paw now, I'm afraid. Uh, it's 
if he's just being brought in just on the, on the short term just to help get Taz more and more over, then okay, fair enough. I'm a fan of Taz, and as I said earlier, I really like this cold-hearted, uh, cold-hearted character that they're building for him. But I do think Bam Bam deserves a bit better than that as well. And I hope ECW finds something else to do for him, but I'm not hopeful. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think in part it may be a case of, but I think Bam Bam has signed a contract with WWF and the, the viewpoint is, is that he can't go and work for WCW. I don't know what, how that would necessarily apply to commits in Japan, but maybe it's a thought of when Bam Bam's WWF contract expires, he may go somewhere else. So let's get out of him what we can rather than necessarily pushing him to the hills and then him going somewhere else. I guess, uh, Steve? Yeah, I've got no problem actually with, with Bam Bam being used like this in, in, in the short term, if that's what it ends up being. Um, I, I quite like Bam Bam as a, as a worker. Um, I think he's a solid sort of guy and he can get people over. And I did laugh at the Lon Sailor, uh, jive. I thought that was quite good. March 19th, Hardcore TV is largely reruns from Big Ass Extreme Bash. We do get highlights in the Mysterio Guerrero match from New York, which is as brutal as you'd expect. Guerrero wins that one, two out of three falls off the top. We end the show with Chef Pillman waiting to serve WCW attorney Mr. Jester his salad. Pillman spits in it. Later, we return to the restaurant. Pillman signs an autograph for a fan and says, It's all just a work, you know. March 26 opens up with a brawl filmed on fan cam in, uh, by a concession stand. Tommy Dreamy gets thrown through a door by one of the Bruise Brothers. Joey Styles makes Digger uncensored. The door, now off its hinges, gets snapped in two. One of the Bruise Brothers gets thrown through it by Tommy. We get highlights of Mikey from Cactus for the Philly show, followed by clips of his post-match promo and a documentary, uh, a package, sorry, documenting his run with the promotion. The graphic reads, Cactus Jack, 1985 to 1996. Bang, bang, he's dead. We get a rerun of Taz and Chris Jericho. We then get the ECW Fan of the Week segment. This week, it's anyone with an ECW with a smidgen of decision-making responsibility. Obviously, these brain surgeons have far too much time on their hands, so they're watching ECW, trying to copy us for their unsalvageable pay-per-views, which they should censor. Bottom line, you guys really suck. We then get a video package, we can get the past history between Douglas, Sandman and Dreamer and trying to guess they can get along. We then get Douglas and Raven from Big Ass Extreme Bash. That will bring to a conclusion this month's show, but a quick quick story to finish. Um, you may have heard us reference on shows in the past, the whole thing with uh, Paul Heyman and ECW and Dennis Corlooza in the Northeast. Uh, well, apparently a story kind of came to light this month. Uh, a challenge laid down. Um, Eugene Moore, who's an associate of, uh, associate of, uh, called Loser, uh, Moore went nuts on a, on a radio show and issued a champion versus champion challenge with each group sending its champion into a shoot cage match with security in the round the ring, preventing interference. With $250,000 for the winner and the losing group never being able to promote wrestling again. Obviously, this was just a challenge and not anything that Paul Heyman was ever likely to accept. But the reason that, that one of the reasons he wasn't going to accept it was that at the time, Paul Heyman's champion was Sandman. And at the time, and still, the NWA champion is Dan Seven, <laughs> who, who you may have heard us discuss on the UFC shows in the uh, last few months, i.e. MMA star Dan Seven. 
Yes, that that was really an idea. We're gonna. Can you imagine oh. Sandman in a shoot match with Dan Seven? Oh, can we please let that happen? <laughs> well, well, maybe. Anyway, uh, yeah. Suffice to say, Paul Heyman did not answer the challenge. <laughs> no, no. Anyway, that will wrap up this month's show. Firstly, thank you to Steve Halverson. Steve, thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Uh, Steve, you can be found on Twitter. I can. Yeah, yeah. At um, uncredited bit part, I'm there. There we go. And Rory McNamara. Thanks, fellas. Uh, Rory, again, coming in as a saving grace as a super sub on two days notice. That, uh, very much appreciated. Rory, you can be found on Twitter. Yep, I'm on, I'm on there as Raw's DM. R-O-R-S-D-M. Splendid. Anyway, that will wrap up this month's show. Two other volumes for you. It's quite possible you've already heard them yet. We've not taped either of them. Uh, volume one is WrestleMania covering, uh, WWF uh, show covering WrestleMania. Uh, volume two is the WCW show covering Uncensored. I had the pleasure of watching that show last night. I'm looking forward to reviewing it next week. Anyway, you can find me on Twitter at Boy Bamba. <clears throat> you can find all the information you need on Wrestling 20 yrs.com if you're on itunes leave us a rating and a review um rss feeds uh, we've now got a page on the website dedicated to the mma show uh, i'm hoping to work on that over the next few weeks um trying to get a uh an mma specific podcast feed for people who just want that but i'll mention more of that uh, when we get back to ufc in may but anyway that will do that i've been bob bamba this has been volume three of the march 1996 edition of the wrestling 20 years ago podcast and until next time goodbye